0: How could I have spent a lifetime hearing about Jesus, yet never studied or paid attention to the one thing Jesus talked about most? The kingdom had no place in my theology, my church life, or my perception of what it meant to be a Christian. Well, Outpost Theology listeners, those words are from my guest today, Jeremy Treat. Jeremy, welcome to Outpost Theology.
1: Thanks for having me, Josh.
0: And uh, for the folks that don't know you, we're, we're going to talk about your book. It is entitled "Seek First: How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything." And uh, I just wanted to say it was—I really enjoyed reading it. And uh, we met—I guess it's hard to remember pre-COVID, right?
1: <laughs> I think it was about a year ago because it was ETS last year, right?
0: Yeah, we met at ETS, an academic conference in uh, in California. And uh, you're a, you're a pastor, correct, in Los Angeles? Yeah,
1: uh-huh. Yeah, I pastor at a church called Reality LA. All
0: right. And we were just talking before we started recording about what it's like to pastor in the middle of Los Angeles in the middle of a pandemic. How are things going with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to both both aspects of that question. I mean, pastoring in Los Angeles is pretty interesting in and of itself. I mean, I, you know, I always tell people like sin is sin and people are people. Sometimes both of those are more glamorous in LA, but, <laughs> but, but we're all doing, we're all doing the, you know, pastors are all working through the same stuff of equipping the saints and preaching the gospel and dealing with a lot of people who are hurting. But LA is, it really is a unique context. I mean, uh, people outside of LA, I don't think really understand it. I would describe LA as a magnet for broken people mm. and, and, and then the people who come here, um, usually with high hopes and dreams, usually become jaded pretty fast. Yeah. And so you've got a lot of a lot of hurting people. And and then it's a, it's a really and, you know, you have that in extreme ways. I mean, we have biggest foster care crisis in the nation, you know, high highest number of people experiencing homelessness by far. Um, but but then it's a really interesting religious context as well. Because uh, I often say L.A. is just really different than what most people think of like New York or Boston with secularism. Here, I would say it's hyper-religious. It's a melting pot. I mean, I'm I'm at a church building right now. And up the street from me is the Church of Self-Realization. And next to them is Scientology. And then there's an Eastern Orthodox Church down the street and a tarot card reader on the other side of the street. And so it's just this like melting pot of religion and spirituality and and all of that. So it's 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 an interesting place uh, to do ministry. I'm I'm glad that the Lord's called me here. Um he's doing a really good work and and I love being able to be a part of it. And and yeah, with the pandemic, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, for a city like this to kind of stop and yeah. then uh and then just the loneliness and all the stuff of mental health and you know, in our our church context, we are uh, pretty young, like a lot of, a lot of people in their twenties, a lot of single people in our church. So it's not just like families hunkering down. Um, I mean, you know, I, I've enjoyed the extra time with my family, but uh, most of the people in our church, uh, don't have family in Los Angeles. And we talk a lot about the church's family, but not being able to be together in person has, has certainly been difficult and has taken a toll.
0: Yeah. I, I've thought about, I've thought about you guys out there and other friends of mine who live in major cities, but you know, I've got four little kids. And so being, we were locked down pretty, pretty hard for a little while there. And I was like, man, I got to get out. I got to get out. I'm getting, I'm drowning in children. And then I thought at the same time, it's like the biggest blessing that I have, the people that I care about the most right here with me and thinking about like a single person in the middle of Los Angeles in a one, in a studio apartment, right? It just just crazy. The, the loneliness, the, the mental health issues.
1: Yeah. And then you add all the other tension around that. It's It's been a pretty rough time.
0: I was reading a blog post recently by a guy, I think he was a pastor in California, and he was kind of comparing ministry in California, but also like how the rest of the nation, but in particular, the Bible Belt views California. And he was comparing it a bit to like the book of Jonah and how Jonah and maybe some of the Israelites viewed Nineveh. Yeah. Like with a sort of almost like if California fails, it's like, well, see, you shouldn't have embraced whatever secularism or what. And it was almost like a call to repentance for the Bible belt in their attitudes toward California. Yeah. Or
1: Well, uh, that's definitely the truth. I mean, I, and especially Los Angeles. I mean, I, I get people who they say, Oh, you live in LA? And I say, yeah. And they say, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, they'll they'll say things like that. And especially Christians who just think of it as Sodom and Gomorrah. And I mean, I like, look, there there's, there's hard things about this place. And sure, there's, there's a lot of sin and, and evil, but there's like, first of all, God's doing a beautiful work in saving lots of people from all over the world right here in Los Angeles but there's also so much of what I would call like God's creational beauty in this mm. city too. I mean, if, if, if you want to believe that God is, is beautiful and artistic and creative, like, man, you see so much of it here. I mean, I walk down the street and I'm seeing different cultures from all over the world. And so I love that. Like I, I, when I came to LA, I kind of had that mindset. Like I, I didn't come here cause I liked it. I came here cause I felt called but I've grown to love Los Angeles and I I like the comparison with Nineveh because um, I like to tell people you can look at at Los Angeles however you want, but God looks upon Los Angeles with compassion and he loves this city and he called Nineveh that great city. Right. Right. And, and so Los Angeles is as broken and ruined as, as any city, but um, the Lord loves it and he's doing a good work and there's signs of his His image bearing and his uh, fingerprints and his redemption all over for sure.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. Well, one of the things I appreciate about your work is that you've got a PhD from Trinity. Is that right?
1: Uh, My PhD is from Wheaton College. I got got a master's from Trinity.
0: Master's from Trinity. But you've been able to kind of do something that I really admire, and that is to write academic works. And your book on the atonement was super helpful for me personally. I know I've told you that before. It's called The Crucified King. Uh, atonement and kingdom in biblical and systematic theology. So if there's anybody out there who's into systematic theology or biblical theology, it's just a fantastic book. Um, but you've also been able to kind of distill some of the, the theology behind that in in this new book, which is on the kingdom of God and Seek, for, seek First is the title. But I, I wanted to begin with that quote that I read there at the beginning of the podcast, because I think your experience in some ways was like my experience um, when you read the Gospels, Jesus just can't stop talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, you know. And yet for me, at least in in sort of American evangelicalism, that just wasn't something that seemed to be talked about a whole lot. And uh, so maybe the first question is, why do you think that is? Why is the kingdom neglected in American evangelicalism?
1: Yeah, well, I I, I know I'll tell you in my context growing up, what that was for sure. And I, I think that quote that you read is as part of where I tell the story of, of having this realization where I heard this preacher say, what's the number one thing that Jesus talked about? And it just seemed like such an easy question. I was like, I know this, like I grew up in the church and of course it's like, it's gotta be the cross or it's gotta be heaven or it's gotta be God's love. Like I know it's somewhere in that orbit. Right. And when he said the kingdom of God, I was just like, I, I mean, I was shocked. And because growing up in my context, which I would would describe as a a conservative, um, pretty like legalistic Christian context, um, we just didn't talk about the kingdom. And now I can look back at kind of that tradition and see why they were reacting against the social gospel Mm -hmm. and they had associated kingdom, uh, and maybe at first kingdom language, but eventually just kingdom anything, Uh, With the social gospel, which, you know, going back to New York City in the 1930s um, of of seeing real needs in the city of poverty and homelessness and wanting to help and really doing so in the name of the kingdom of God, but also abandoning a lot of really core beliefs of Christianity in that process. So there was this nervousness about the kingdom of God that was attached to the social gospel and liberal theology and all of that. And so there's this mentality of we don't talk about the kingdom because that's what liberals do. Um mm. and this reaction to that that was over reactionary. Um and so I, that was definitely the case for the tradition that I grew up in. Um and I, I still see that in a lot of ways now. I, I I I've I've had conversations with people that when you you use the word kingdom their antennas go up. Mm. And they, and they start thinking, "Oh, is has he abandoned the gospel? Is he liberal? You know any of those kind of things? So, mm-hmm. I mean, and we're talking a lot. You know, there's a whole history between liberal theology and fundamentalism and evangelicalism, yeah. but we're still very much in that a lot. I think it's changed a lot too in the last ten years or so, twenty years. But, but that's a strong part of it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I haven't, hadn't even thought about it that way. But I wonder if it's in some ways analogous to. When you talk about in certain contexts today within evangelicalism, even within my own, in some ways, if you talk to, if you talk about justice, or if you talk about say racial justice or you know uh, poverty or something, then the assumption is, oh, well, you're you're a critical race theorist, mm-hmm. you're you're a Marxist. Yeah. Um, I'm like, well, no, actually, like those are biblical biblical concepts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I don't even. You know, for some of us, like I don't even know what critical race theory is. I don't. You know, right. but. So it's interesting that you, you point out that perhaps the neglect of the kingdom is out of fear for being labeled or fear for verging into this sort of uh, social gospel that's going to deny some of the transcendent elements.
1: That's good. And I, I think what that does is it points to the fact that we're not just talking about language, because mm. like with the social gospel, for example, it wasn't just that they appealed to kingdom language. They really did redefine kingdom. Mm. Um, and gospel in those contexts and so people are i would say they're right to be suspicious about the social gospel Mm -hmm. but the problem is is i want to say well if if it's in the bible then why don't we try and reclaim it according to scripture right Mm -hmm. like let's talk about the kingdom and let's talk about what that means and how you can understand the kingdom without throwing out substitutionary atonement and the inerrancy of scripture and these other things, it you know, it's a similar thing with justice because there is a, I think it's a valid concern that even the word justice could kind of get hijacked and equated with a, yeah. you know, an American or whatever kind of understanding of justice we might have. But that sends us, we got to keep going back to the scripture saying, well, look, if Jesus said this is a, seek first the kingdom of God, then let's make sure that we understand what that means.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the abuse of a concept doesn't necessitate the neglect of a concept or, yeah. Well, you mentioned like how you define it and you even have some nice the nice little charts in the book, which were helpful for me as a chart guy. Yeah. Uh, how do you define the kingdom of God for lay people, for, for folks in your church when they're like, okay, well, well what is
1: it? Yeah, yeah. So I, th- the kingdom is like this vast, like amazing concept that's awe-inspiring and that we'll never kind of understand the fullness of it. Um, And yet, it it, it can be really simple. And so I try and give an eight word definition of the kingdom of God. God's reign through God's people over God's place. Hmm. So it, it starts with God. And that might seem really basic. But unfortunately, people throw the word kingdom around all the time in such a way that isn't actually God centered at all. So To say that the kingdom is first and foremost about God's reign is important. It's a statement about the kingship of God and his reign breaking in. So it's God's reign, but then it's God's reign through God's people. So uh, we are the community of the king. We've been ransomed into the kingdom of God. And he doesn't just reign over us, which he does, he reigns through us. And there's a lot that you can get into with. Genesis 1 and 2 there, and then the the restoration of that through Christ. But then God uh, reigns over a place. And so you think Mm. about the Garden of Eden, where you have Eden, you have this picture, it's this garden kingdom. But the vision is that that the garden kingdom would become a global kingdom, that they would Mm. expand the borders of Eden, so to speak, um, and spread the blessings of God's reign. And so the kingdom of God then is God's reign through God's people over God's place. So you think, yeah. you know, I talked about Eden, you, you, you go forward to the, the, the New Jerusalem, where you have this uh, Edenic city, and mm-hmm. you've got it all there. You've got God's reign through God's redeemed people now of every tribe and tongue and language and nation um, over God's place, which is all of creation, heaven and earth mm-hmm. come together.
0: Yeah, no, that's helpful. God's reign through God's people over God's place yeah and you can kind of track that all the way through the scriptures right mm-hmm. sort of starting in Eden and then going forward to the new creation
1: yeah yeah you go to you go to you know Genesis 12 is one of the key turning points in the whole Bible and what does God promise Abraham he promises him land and to become a great people right people in place mm-hmm. and then it's to be a blessing to the ends of the earth so you've got the blessings of God's reign. Um, that's the fountain of all of that. So, yeah, I mean, that's like key turning point. You can really follow that throughout the scriptures. And I learned a lot of that from Graham Goldsworthy, um, by the way, in, in his work on kingdom of God, which is really good, but has, has fallen out, um, in a lot of ways or or people just don't read him very much.
0: Hey, Outpost Theology listeners. Do you know someone, a potential student who would like to receive a 75% tuition scholarship. That's 75% off of Oklahoma Wesleyan's tuition. We are offering this scholarship to all full-time ministry majors, whether you're pastoral ministry, youth ministry, biblical and theological studies, apologetics, 75% off of tuition for full-time on-ground ministry majors. And that's beginning in the fall of 2021. If you want more information about this scholarship or about applying to Oklahoma Wesleyan University, just go to okwu.edu. Yeah. Well, looking at that threefold definition, so God's reign through God's people over God's place, would it be fair to say that certain sort of wrong or sort of aberrant misunderstandings of the kingdom fail to give uh, proper place to one of those three components? Hmm. Like I could think of like sort of an escapist view of like pie in the sky when I die. It's got God's reign and God's people are there but it's like neglected the place, the final place of that reign in verging into kind of a a escapist eschatology. And I wonder if you could like flesh that out, uh, or if somebody could flesh it out in different ways, that all three of those matter for your kingdom theology.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I haven't really thought about it that way, Josh, but I I like it. I mean, you think about um, kind of a social gospel movement mentality and they remove God from the equation in at least in like God's reign breaking in, right. It's more mm. of now it's a, it's a human work that's working upwards rather than God's yeah. grace descending in. And yeah. so they really leave that out for sure. And then, yeah. yeah, you think of some, so like there's definitely a movement of take like, uh, we, we talked about reactions before, like people recognizing that that material substance matters to God. Right. Like a lot of evangelicals didn't recognize that in the sense of God seeing the Bible as the story of God saving our souls to this immaterial existence. Some people have gone so far, though, with that of, OK, so the environment does matter and, right. and creation does matter and the earth matters and, and all of that, that they actually miss the unique, special place of image bearers of God. I mean, yeah. I've, I've read theologians who say God's renewing creation and humans are just a little part of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that captures the way that the scriptures talk about it of right. people of God, of God's special, um, treasured possession, right? So I think you're right that definitely uh, an overemphasis or, an, or a complete neglect of any of those leads, yeah. leads one astray.
0: Now that's, that's helpful for me to, to think through that. One of the things you said that I liked in the book was that, so the kingdom of of God involves a throne. Um, and you say that the throne never stays empty in anybody's worldview. And that's for non-Christians just as much as for Christians. Can you, can you talk about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the basic question of like, what, what's ruling in your life for another, another way of asking it is what are you serving? We all live for something. and so an easy example of that is is career, right? Career is king and and I will make sacrifices for my career. you know people will sacrifice their relationship with their kids, they'll sacrifice their marriage, they'll sacrifice their integrity. Uh, they will they will strive to to please that king, so to speak, and expecting that king to give them something in return out of that. so, We make, we we enthrone these different idols in our lives. And, and what you see is those, those idols, they're not good Kings. They're harsh Mm -hmm. rulers and Mm -hmm. they never fulfill their promises. And not only do they let you down, they take you down. If you, if you make career your King, then it will eventually be the very thing that destroys you. So in that sense, it's to say Jesus is King is a really powerful and practical statement in my life that yes. I'm serving Jesus, I'm making sacrifices for him. And he is the king who who doesn't let us down. He He keeps every promise that he's made.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's good. You talk about in the book, how the functional, everybody kind of works with a master narrative or master story. Yeah. And you say that the functional master narrative for most people in the Western culture is the sovereign self. The sovereign self, and I guess you kind of alluded that already. Talking about when you make career uh, your sort of idol,
1: mm-hmm.
0: are there? Can you talk about some other ways that that sort of plays out, aside from maybe the career narrative? But especially in your context in L.A.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm well. There's a couple ways you can think about this. There, there's lots of different idols that people appeal to. So, you know, like fame, fame is an easy one to think about, right? If, if fame is your ultimate goal, then you'll make sacrifices for that. You'll, you end up not loving people, you use people. Um, and, and that shapes your whole life. And then it's pretty easy to see that fame doesn't satisfy. You can, you can hear these quotes of people like Jim Carrey saying, I wish everyone could get famous so they could see that it doesn't actually make you happy. Um, and, and you just see that in the headlines over and over again with with people who have achieved fame. But I think part of what you said with the, the narrative of the sovereign self is that idolatry comes back to ultimately trusting myself over God. So even in putting that thing in, in, in the throne, it's like I'm putting myself there because I'm choosing it. And that is, um, that's why, that's why sin is ultimately rebellion against God. Cause it's a, I know better than you. It's a, yeah. I, I deserve to be on the throne instead of God. And, and you know, I, I was just, I was just talking, I'm discipling a, a couple of the guys in the recovery program that we have at our church. And we were just talking about this of both of these guys said, I know that my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. And that, yeah. and, and, and for that reason, like, who am I to, you know, this or that? And we stopped for a minute and talked about that and just how radical of a statement that is compared mm-hmm. to what you hear in our culture today, mm-hmm. uh, where, where it's, uh, nobody can tell me what to do. I determine who I am, right? Like I'm the master of my own ship. How yeah. different that is than the, the Christian way of thinking that I was bought with a price Yeah. and my body doesn't belong to me. It, it belongs to the Lord. And so... I'm yeah. going to live for him and not for myself. It's just radically different ways of thinking, and that yeah. that's where one of the things I love about the idea of the kingdom of God is, you can't tack that on to your otherwise self-sufficient life, right? Yeah. The the kingdom invades these spaces and it, it blows that it blows that up or kind of yeah. DIY spirituality that that has me at the center, rearranging things however I want. Yeah. The only way that the kingdom comes is to be foundational, central, like where, where Jesus is truly uh, in charge. He's Lord. He's King.
0: Yeah, that's that's super helpful. I, I was teaching New Testament this morning to a bunch of freshman college students. and We were reading in First Corinthians where, you know, where Paul says, you are not your own you were bought, you know, and I thought, man, what a subversive, radical, offensive claim to make in a modern Western individualistic culture that actually not even you are your own. Right. That, that God has purchased you. He's, you know, created you. Um, That's, that's, that's helpful. So, coming back to to the kingdom and and you've written this other book specifically kind of on atonement theology. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what is the relationship between the cross and the kingdom? I mean, it seems like a very strange, uh, image, this, this crucif, this, you know, torture device, this horrible death. What's the relation between the cross and the kingdom?
1: Yeah. So in, in my experience, um, kingdom and cross were like uh, enemies almost that, and you built whole crowds around this. You have this kingdom crowd that cares about social activism and you have this cross crowd that cares about personal salvation. And usually it's, it's presented as the kingdom or the cross, but it's it's mm-hmm. one to the exclusion of the other. And I mean, this is what I, this is what I wrote my doctoral dissertation on and spent, you know, three years of my life just pouring myself into this question. And I I just I I think I knew intuitively from reading the scriptures like I, I shouldn't have to choose between kingdom and cross but yeah. how do they actually relate and so uh, you think about Jesus uh, Jesus comes and the first thing that he says is the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand right mm-hmm. repent and believe in the gospel so he's fulfilling this this kingdom story that you read unfolding throughout the Old Testament. But he's, he's also then redefining what it means to be this Messiah King um, throughout his ministry. And people don't get it, right? He's, even though he's coming and he's washing his disciples' feet and showing, I'm the kind of king that serves. And he's being juxtaposed with King Herod. And, and mm-hmm. he, rather than doing what King Herod does, he multiplies the loaves for the thousands, right? And he provides. And they still don't get it. But it's at the cross where it all comes together. And you see that he truly is the king, but he reigns through self-giving love. And he brings his kingdom, not by coming and establishing a political realm via force, but by coming and laying down his life out of love. And so Jesus brings the kingdom through the cross and through his life, death, and resurrection. But I really believe that the cross is at the center of that. And that then creates this cross-shaped kingdom where we, as now that we're in the kingdom of God and that we are, we've been ransomed into the kingdom of God, we can't have this triumphalistic attitude of, well, the kingdom is here. And so, you know, we're just like, it's, it's all easy and it's all victory and all, no, because we're called to, as in following the king to take up our cross. Yeah. And we live in between the already and the not yet where God's kingdom is present, but it's hidden and it's not been fully consummated yet. So to me, that just at one level, it like in studying that, it, it helped me understand it theologically. It also just gives me a framework for how to live in this beautiful but broken world where yeah. I, I expect to see victory and restoration and renewal. And yet I also know that um, that we're called to pick up a cross and carry it.
0: Hey, Outpost Theology listeners, Oklahoma Wesleyan University is upping our game when it comes to scholarships. So in addition to the 75% off of tuition scholarship that we offer for all on-ground ministry majors, ministry majors who live on our campus, we are offering special scholarships for the the kids or the dependents of people in the ministry. So if you know someone who's a pastor's kid or a missionary kid, we are offering 75% off of tuition to Wesleyan pastors or missionary kids who are full-time resident students on our campus. If you're from another denomination, we're offering 50% off of tuition for on-ground residential students who whose parents are pastors or full-time missionaries in other denominations. Some qualifications apply. So just go to www.okwu.edu. Yeah. Well, I loved, I loved your section in The Crucified King on that. And you had this wonderful quote, and I can't even remember. It's from church history, uh, where uh, somebody says, you know, that Jesus takes hold of his cross like a king takes hold of his scepter. And it becomes this almost his. In in, in some ways, the gospels speak about it as his glorification, yeah, as his enthronement. But it's just it's a completely upside down sort of uh, enthronement, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I mean, in the book, I talk about the Gospel of Mark, and you can look at it in the different gospels, but Mark in particular. Some people look at it like, well, in Jesus's life you know, he's, he's talking about the kingdom and he's preaching about the kingdom, but then it shifts. And then it's all about the cross, mm. but that's, it's not the way that Mark tells the story at all. Um, in Mark 15, where you have this story of the crucifixion, uh, half, half of the uses of the word King in the book of Mark are in Mark 15. And mm. you have all this Royal imagery. Jesus is yeah. mocked as a King. He has a crown of thorns. It says King of the Jews over his head. And what Mark is showing through irony is that the one who is being mocked as king truly is king and Mm -hmm. that his crucifixion is an enthronement Mm -hmm. and that he reigns from the cross. And so it's it's just it's beautiful. And you can only see that through the lens of faith, which is why I love First Corinthians one so much. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Like you look at a guy who's being who's being tortured and executed by Mm -hmm. Romans and bleeding and can barely breathe. And you think that guy lost, that guy is defeated. And yet through the lens of faith, we can see that is victory through sacrifice and that is love in a different kind of way than this world has ever seen. It's beautiful.
0: Well, What was so helpful for me is sometimes theologians will talk about Jesus's ministry in these two phases and, you know, one phase is is humiliation, right? And then the other phase is sort of exaltation or glorification. And one of the things you are able to show biblically is like the scriptures... Do not rigidly dichotomize or segregate those two ideas, you know, that he is exalted and glorified in the most humiliating act, you know, crucified naked before his mom and his friends. And, you know, that is, I think it's helpful pastorally and it's helpful just as a, just as a person, because I think for, for a lot of us, the question we wrestle wrestle with is, okay, if, if Jesus is king and if he's victorious... And one of the themes of atonement is is triumph, right? Well, then where's the evidence of that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in the midst of pandemic and racial unrest and um, just the brokenness of the world, where is the kingdom? Yeah. Um, and I, in my book, I, I talk about that in the context of, you know, Graham Greene, this Catholic writer who writes this book, The Power and the Glory. Mm. And... One of the things I think he's doing with the title is like that's, that's that's a part of a triad, right? The kingdom and the power and the glory, but he leaves out the kingdom entirely, as if like, where is it?
1: Right. You know? Yeah.
0: So, to quote, sort of build on that, with pastoring in the middle of a pandemic in Los Angeles, where is the kingdom in our midst right now? What are where are some signs of the kingdom breaking through, if it is a cross shaped kingdom? Right, um, And if the crown is a kind of crown of thorns, where do we see the evidence of the triumph in the midst of the,
1: the yep. pain? Well, I, I love the question. And it's, you can't see it if you look at it from a worldly perspective, right? Mm. If you associate kingdom solely with like success, or, or if you define power in the way that the world defines it, then you'll look and you'll say, Jesus, Jesus was wrong, right? Mm. But if you read the Beatitudes and then look at the world, mm. you say the kingdom is in our midst, mm. right? And, and if, if you look at the life of Christ, right, mm. and you say, oh, that's what kingdom looks like. And then you look at our, our world, you say, I see the kingdom of God advancing all over. Mm. And so I think if the kingdom was established through faithful suffering and service then I would say the kingdom is also being advanced and exhibited in faithful suffering and service. Hmm. So we're tempted to look from an American perspective to say, well, if the kingdom is there, show me like the, you know, where's this visible evidences of this that are impressive and flashy. And I want to say, let me tell you about the martyrs Hmm. who are giving their lives for Christ right now and will not will not sell out to Jesus, even though their lives are at stake. The kingdom is coming there, right? Mm-hmm. And you think about the blood of the martyrs crying out, like in, in Revelation, it talks about that. And it's the witness of the martyrs even with that. So I just think that we have to understand the nature of the kingdom to mm-hmm. see the kingdom. Yeah, And yeah. I, can, I can go over um, at our church. We do, uh, well, we inherited a couple of years ago this, this beautiful ministry that where we feed about 300 meals a day to the hungry and homeless in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I can go over there and I can sit down and have a meal with some, some of these folks and, uh, and hear their stories. and I can see the kingdom of God right there happening. Yeah. And yeah. and there's something beautiful there. and And most people would look at that and say, you know, from like a from a worldly perspective, certainly from like an American dream success narrative, would say like that. There, there's nothing good there, right? Mm. And yet I can look at it and say, there's restoration happening here. There's image of God here. There's something beautiful happening here, and I can see the kingdom breaking in in different ways. So I, I really think it, it depends on your perspective. And as Christians in the West in America. Um, we've got to, we've got to recognize how shaped we are, the Mm -hmm. lens that we've been given. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you just think about this, like, here's, here's one of the ways I see this pastorally. I see this over and over and over again. When people, when something goes wrong in people's lives, when they suffer, when they experience trials, they think like, what happened? I, Mm -hmm. I guess Christianity doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the reason they have a wrong expectation and pastorally, we have to remind people, Jesus never promised you that if you trust him, that everything will go the way that you want. In fact, he literally promised you the opposite. <laughs> yeah. um, and and so we have to, I think we have to check our expectations on that to be able to see the ways that God is at work in the world.
0: Yeah, that's good. And you write in the book about a guy in your church, and I don't remember the exact way you phrase it, but you say, just like a lot of people he is upset with God for promises that God never made,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, trying to hold God to promises that, that God actually never, never made. And and I think that that happens for me, happens for all of us But maybe, maybe to sort of wrap this up, because I know we both have to go, but I wonder about the relation between um, hope in the midst of a cruciform kingdom, the suffering, the grittiness of life and eschatology. Um, and I wonder if one of the ways we can accept a cruciform existence now is that we have this hope that the kingdom doesn't stay on the cross. I don't know how how to say that in the right, you know what I mean? Like, um, that the cross may be central, but it doesn't end with, with suffering. Yep. When you think about eschatology, when you think about that sort of ultimate hope, are there connections there to the kingdom that, that you try to pull out as a pastor for, oh, for your yeah. folks?
1: I think you have to. And I, I, you're right. The language I use in the book is that the cross is central, but the kingdom is telic, meaning it's, it's the telos. It's the ultimate goal that, that all of history is moving towards. And I I feel like, Throughout this pandemic, I've seen that more than ever. That sometimes all we can do is lament and long for the eternal kingdom. Mm. Um, because I honestly, I think the pandemic, what it what it's done is it has exposed so much and it, it's exposed the illusion of control, right? Mm that I thought I was in charge. I, th- I thought I could make plans and depend <laughs> on those. And it, it's exposed that of an illusion. Like we have very little control over our lives and we need to be good stewards of what's been entrusted with us. But um, but but there's, there's levels of suffering and things that you go through in life where all you can do is lament and long for the return of Christ. And I do think that um, even with the kingdom language, the way it's used now, it's 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 certainly used more with kind of an already of mm-hmm. of seeing the justice and righteousness of the kingdom. But the the king we need the already and the not yet of the kingdom. And I think um, the suffering that we go through, the hardships, should stir up more and more our longing for that. And and we have to have a a, a holy, chastened expectation. Of 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 uh, life before the return of Christ, and so I, I definitely and you know even pastorally um, with, with people who especially with people who are sick, and they remind all of us that that life is a vapor, right? Hmm. And our our hope is in the eternal kingdom of God, and and hmm. we won't experience that in, in its fullness till the return of Christ. But I think if we don't hold that out as a hope for our people that we will, um, will give people wrong expectations in that sense of of what we can experience in this life now.
0: Yeah. Well, Jeremy Treat, I love the book. Seek First is the title, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything. If you're a little bit more academically inclined, check out The Crucified King. Uh, I just stole all your stuff, man, and repackaged (laughs) it in my book. (laughs) I I mean, I footnoted you. So, uh,
1: that's all that's all we all do, right? We're just we're just building off each other's work. And Josh, I'm really grateful for you. I love your book, The Mosaic of the Atonement, and your other writings. And um, I'm looking forward to the other, other stuff that you have coming out. And, and I got to say, before we go, I love Oklahoma, okay, I think I told you this, but I, my mom's from Oklahoma, I grew up going to Oklahoma, my brother lives in Oklahoma. So I, I love Oklahoma. And I'm grateful you're there doing the good work that you're doing.
0: Well, once this whole pandemic thing calms down, we need to have you out and have you on campus and uh, uh, it's been great reading your stuff, man, and I hope we get to cross paths again soon.
1: Awesome. All right. Thanks, Josh. Good.
0: Thanks, Jeremy. All right. You did it. You made it through another episode of Outpost Theology at the Frontier of Theology, Culture, and the Church. I want to thank my guest, Jeremy Treat, for being with us. I want to thank Oklahoma Western University for sponsoring us. And I want to thank you for listening. As always, you could really help us out if you go to wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a nice, honest review. It'll help us to get the episodes out there to more folks. Thanks for listening.